In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with today's edition of Southern Fried Soccer. I just watched Atlanta United fall to Minnesota United 3-2. The Loons scored two goals in the final minutes of the game to snatch that 3-2 win. The loss keeps Atlanta United in third in the MLS East. If they had won, they would have passed NYCFC for second. It was a controversial game. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Jason Longshore, my usual post-game guest, is here. Jason of 92.9 and soccer down here. Let me go through the goals really fast before we talk. Uh, Abu Dunladis opened the scoring in the 48th minute with a fantastic goal. Uh, it, was, it was a really pretty goal. Then Kyle Rainish got sent off uh, for a red card. He, the goalkeeper for Atlanta United was in in place of Brad Guzan, who's off of the U.S. national team, one of five regular starters missing for Atlanta United in the game. Hector Villalba tied the game up with a shot from the top of the penalty box that went through two different Minnesota United players' legs. Julian Gressel thought what was going to be the game winner with a really nice goal in the 72nd minute, his fifth of the season. But then Christian Ramirez scored off a corner kick that bounced off of a couple of players in the 90th minute, and Kevin Molino got away from Jeff Lernowitz long enough to head in a goal in the sixth minute of stoppage time to secure the 3-2 win. Jason, what were your initial thoughts about this loss? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know where to even start. It was uh, an exhausting game. I can just tell you from calling it, it was the most tired I've been at the end of it. Uh, the ups and downs and just emotional swings in this thing. Uh, there's honestly more positive than negative to take out of it. Uh, a lot of positive in the way they fought back. A lot of positive from that first half performance, which I thought was very good, even though you didn't get a goal to show for it. I thought the first half they dominated and created a number of chances, and Shuttleworth kept Minnesota in the game. And when you have a goalkeeper who does that, you get a goal in the 48th minute, like Abu Dunladi scored. Great finish in open space. It was a bad play from Gressel, giveaway and midfield. And quick break, and Dunlady in space against Parkhurst is not a matchup you like. Yeah, he turned Parkhurst pretty easy yep. on that goal. He was able to create the space for the left-footed shot, and it was a, a great shot. Abu Dunlady showing why Minnesota took him number one in the Super Draft. But then you had the fight back, and you had Tito Vishalba and Julian Gressel get goals. Um, to give you 2-1, a man down. And we'll get into that all that in a minute. Um, I think it took so much energy and emotion to get back into it and get that lead that it felt like they just didn't have anything left in the tank. And when the equalizer came in the 90th and it was seven minutes of stoppage time, you had to wonder if they could survive it, and they ultimately couldn't. 
Yeah, it was uh, you know eighth game in 24 days, playing a man down, playing without five starters, and then losing another in the first half. Chris McCann now has a leg injury. That is the fifth leg injury in among four players in the past month since this team moved into Mercedes-Benz. I don't know what the reason is. I don't know if, if it's playing on turf. I mean, it's eight games in 24 days. I don't days. know if it's eight games in 24 days. I mean, it's easy for Martino and other people to point to the congestion, but it is partially Atlanta United's own fault. They wanted all the home games they could get at Mercedes-Benz. This is the price that you have to pay. Um, it was supposed to be six games in 21 days. Because of the construction delays, it became eight and 24. Either way, it's pretty brutal. And eight and 24 is almost unheard of. And it caught up to them the last couple. Uh, New England, they were able to see through and get a result. Tonight, a little too sloppy at times. Uh, switched off in the second half. That was yeah, the, the last the, the last part. ten minutes. I think they thought they had the game wrapped up. The first ten of the second half and the last ten of the match, they, they really seemed to switch off, and that's where I think the mental fatigue kind of kicked right. in. Yeah. And and the last ten was both the mental yeah. and the physical fatigue of okay. playing a man down for as long as they did. Yeah, let's get to some of that now. <laughs> oh, After the game, buckle up, folks. Uh, Gerardo Martino for the at least the third time this season that I can remember that I know I've written about uh, criticized the MLS referees. I didn't have time to go back and look for the first time, but I know I wrote it. The second time came a month ago. Uh, he called VAR, video assistant referee, boring. And tonight he went even a step further and said that there needs to be someone supervising VAR because it didn't seem to be doing what it was supposed to do. The reason for his comments were early in the first half, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez got hit in the head with the elbow. Uh, no call was made. It was pretty clear. I, I could see it, and I'm blind as a bat. It's on the other <laughs> end of the field. Yeah. TV showed it easily. Then, in the 30th minute, Hector Vialba had a breakaway coming down the side, right in front of Atlanta United's bench. And what is his name? Colin Martin. Colin Martin, yeah, came in and just scythed down Viaba. The ball was five yards past him. He had no shot at getting the ball. Nope. All he was trying to do was take out Viaba, and he did. All the result was a yellow card. VAR didn't even buzz the referee's ear, or if he did, the referee didn't show it. It was a ridiculously bad call. Um, and so that got... Martino up and going and all of it laying out his players up and going. The Rainish red card was deserved. He did take him out. It was a late tackle. Martino didn't even criticize that. He's, yeah, the referee did go to VAR on that and right. Martino said he didn't even need to. It was a red card. Right. Um, so anyway, he said that he wishes they would get away with VAR, do away with VAR, even though it's only been in action since August, because he thinks the referees are declining to make calls, instead waiting on VAR to come through and confirm what everyone has seen. That's, that's a really good point, and I remember those types of conversations as you brought instant replay into football and how it would change how the referees called the game in the run of play, knowing that you had that safety net. And 
some ways and you're reluctant to make calls. There was another uh, elbow slash forearm to the head of LGP from Coleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was a second um, Yeah, both in the first half. Yeah, and this, this is what's what's frustrating about the whole thing, and I look at it as the big picture of, of this, this match. You had the first challenge from Coleman on Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, which could have been a red by itself. Right. Um, nothing called. No yellow, no nothing. Then you have the Colin Martin tackle, which is one of the worst I've seen. Uh, bringing Vishalba down in that situation when you know you're beat, hey, that happens all the time. We see Carlos Carmona do that every other game. That's part of the game. But you don't do it in a way where you're diving at a player's knees. It wasn't studs up, but it was reckless. Yeah, he caught right across the yeah. Oh, it was higher than that. I thought it was was closer to the knees. It was He was well off the ground. And that's the type of challenge that there should be no place for in this game. Colin Martin should have been red carded. And then Gonzalez Perez takes another forearm to the head. Shots to the head were supposed to be something that was a point of emphasis for referees right. in MLS this season. Uh, we've seen it hurt Atlanta twice, Emil Assad. Right. And the LGP red card in Montreal, part of that conversation was, oh, what looked like he hit him in the head. And LGP gets hit twice, nothing happens. So then all that adds up, and you go to halftime. And you think generally where referees have this discussion at halftime, they're they're talking about calls, they're you know looking at plays, thinking, well, maybe I missed this one, I missed this one here. All right, then you have an opportunity where it's a judgment call. I don't, I'm not going to argue the red card to Rainish. I, I think Leandro Gonzalez Perez could have been the last man. I think the touch from Dunlady took him wide. I think Gonzalez Perez was even with him. You could have gone yellow there, especially in light of the way the game had been called up to that. I don't think anybody would have really blinked too much. But you go red and you multiply and throw gas on the fire and all that. So it was a very frustrating night from Villarreal, the referee. And we had a long talk about VAR on our 92.9 postgame show. I like the idea of it. The implementation is nowhere near where it needs to be. But the bigger picture for me is just the quality of referees in general. Yeah. Uh, U.S. soccer, and this is not just an MLS thing. This is a U.S. Soccer Federation thing because they train the referees and prepare the referees and and work with the professional referees organization to book referees in all the leagues. You start, go watch some games in USL and NASL and you want to see some referees make some calls. It's not good enough, period, across the board. There's not enough good referees. And this is a problem for U.S. soccer because the quality of play has improved dramatically. The pace of play has improved even more dramatically. And you don't have enough referees who can keep up. And you don't have enough referees who can kind of feel the game. And that was a big frustration I had with Villarreal tonight was it seemed like he really didn't have control of it or feel the emotions of the game and the swings. And he just felt disconnected from it. Referees across the board need to get better. And U.S. soccer has invested very intelligently in coaching education. They have to do, they have to invest some of this $100 million pot that they supposedly have in referee development for the professional level. Maybe that's a platform for uh, Eric Winalda if he runs for the U.S. Soccer Federation presidency. I like that. I like um, that. And we didn't even talk about the yellow card given to Tyrone Mears, oh, which came on a wow. tackle where he actually got the ball. That, and that, a Minnesota United player flipped a brown in the air for some bizarre reason. And and that came right after the Colin Martin tackle. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was a slightly apoplectic. 
it reminded the the, the yellow card to Tyrone Mears came, I think, purely because of the leaping, flipping Minnesota United player. It reminded me of when you go to a soccer game with people who've never seen soccer, and the higher you kick the ball, the louder they cheer. And it seemed like that was a yellow card purely from from the action of the Minnesota United player and not at all to do with what actually happened. Here's one more that I, I still have to go back and look at. I haven't had a chance to yet. The last goal, the foul that created the buildup, it looked like Ibsen was trying out for the Greg Luganis biography movie. <laughs> in the air, before the tackle comes in, he gets the foul. They take the free kick quickly. I don't even know if the ball had stopped. And they break in and score. I would love to go back and see that because I think that was a terrible call to lead up to that goal and gave Minnesota the chance with the stop, caught Atlanta flat-footed with the quick free kick, and then they score. Now, having said all that, two of Minnesota United's three goals were very pretty. Dunlady's goal was fantastic. Molino's goal was a great header. They were very mm-hmm. deserving goals. I'm not disputing that the result would have changed had the calls gotten right. Minnesota did what it had to do. Um, and Atlanta United did not. Uh, yeah, it's a frustrating night. It's a, it's a night where Atlanta did a lot of things right. They switched off at times and were punished for it, something Atlanta United generally does to the opposition very well. And it really looked like a team that's played eight games in 24 days. Yeah, now this this is my concern going forward. The team does not have Greg Garza, who's out four to six weeks. We don't know the extent of Chris McCann's injury, but I'm guessing that it's going to be a hamstring or a quad. You have, to, you have to worry about that because He's going to be out four to six weeks. Yeah, and for that sub to come before the half, when yep. you could have waited till halftime. Right. To make it when you did, you have to worry about how serious it is. He seemed to be walking okay. I know. I didn't see anything. But usually, I mean, I've seen the Atlanta United guys around the training center with hamstring injuries. You can walk okay. Mm-hmm. But that's about all you can do. Right. But they're running out of fullbacks. Now you're down to Tyrone Mears, mm-hmm. Mark Bloom, Anton Walks, and Mikey Ambrose. You're down to two options on the left, Bloom it's, and Ambrose. And it's obvious that... Tata doesn't really fancy Ambrose or McCann wouldn't have been in there in the first place in, in place of Garza. Right. Uh, it would have been Ambrose all along. I thought Mikey Ambrose played well tonight when he came Yeah, I, I thought I I think he's played really well whenever I've seen him, but for some reason... Size can be a bit of an yeah, issue. Martino, perf- yeah, they are a short team. Even yeah, Ambrose Am- doesn't make them any taller. Ambrose definitely doesn't do that. McCann gives you a presence in the air. He wins a lot of balls in the air that help you out. Um, little surprise, Mark Bloom hasn't had more of an opportunity. He had the yeah, back injury, too. but he was in the 18 tonight. You have time now to decide if, if you're going to be missing Garza and McCann. Is it Bloom or is it Ambrose? Yeah, uh, and train them up. Yeah, I mean, from, from what I've seen of Mark Bloom in his career, played with the Silverbacks here, uh, he's played in the lower divisions, did well with Toronto. I, saw I think him, he's a starter in this league. I saw him handle Piotti mm-hmm. decently. I mean, Piotti, you know, still played well, but Bloom shut him down in his start at Montreal. And Bloom's my, a little bit bigger, too. Oh, yeah. But my point in all this is Atlanta United is not in the second seed. It is in yep. the third seed right now. If that holds, they haven't given up on getting the second seed. Parker right. says if they went out, they could still get it. They can. Um, in which they obviously can. But if they're a third or fourth seed and hosting a game here, a one-game knockoff, if you don't have Garza, if you don't have McCann, if you don't have Almiron, uh, if you don't have Vasquez, 
it's a little bit scarier for Atlanta United fans, I would imagine, mm-hmm. than you know having a healthy team. Those are important pieces. It, it all starts to multiply, and that's that's the problem. Is I think you can overcome one or two. You know, they they've handled missing Greg Garza pretty well. Chris McCann has looked great, and I've seen some criticism of Chris McCann at left back that has just blown my mind. To be perfectly honest, I thought Chris McCann got better every game he played at left back. I was really impressed. Um, they were even able to overcome Miguel Almiron at first. Yeah, well, Gressel, has, Gressel has two goals and an assist yeah. in three games subbing for Almiron. Now. Gressel, Gressel's an interesting one because I really love what he gives you in the attacking half. I worry about him in the defensive half because he will sometimes try that perfect pass in the defensive half and have a turnover like what led to Dan Lottie's goal tonight. That's the part he's got to clean up. And, but other than that, I think Gressel's very dynamic and can give you something that replicates Almiron in the attacking end. He doesn't give you the defensive work that Miguel does, and that's putting more pressure on Carmona and Lorenowitz to get it done. But Gressel has stepped in for Almiron, and it's been okay. It's when it starts to multiply, and it's you don't have your normal left back or your second left back, and you don't have Almiron, and you don't have extra depth here and there and wherever. That's when it starts to get tough, and it puts a lot of pressure on guys that have to keep stepping up. Yamil Assad with a great pass to Gressel mm-hmm. on his goal. Uh, he stepped up tonight. Tito Vishalba stepped up again. 13 goals, 10 assists this season. I mean, what more can you ask for out of him? And Joseph. he could easily have more goals. Okay. I mean, he, he had an opportunity in the first half that uh, he's he, trying to put it through Shuttleworth's legs yeah. and he got a hand down on it. He seems to be it. the one who gets victimized by great saves yeah. more than any other That's player true. I've seen. That's I mean, true. Vishalva could have 20 goals this season with some of the great saves that Hamid and, and, and Shuttleworth tonight and others. And you still hold your breath every time he's about to do something with his first touch because it's still a little erratic. Yeah, That's it, how fast he's, he's still to you. He's so awkward at times. Yeah. It's just like... The, the muscles just keep firing all the time. Yeah. Sometimes that first touch can be a little weird, but he reacts to it so well. Yeah. And that's what I, what I love about watching him. I, that's I what love... caused the foul tonight. Yeah. I think that uh, Martin thought Viaba was going to do something else, and instead he just booted the ball down the field and was going to go chase it. And so he tapped and just scythed them down. Yeah. That still is one of the worst fouls I've seen in a long time. It's And that's what makes the game frustrating tonight is that you feel like you were hard done by the referee. You feel like you played well and you had chances. You didn't convert on enough of them. And you feel like you slipped up in the back and you let some things get away from you. So, again, I still think there's more positives than negatives. But there are some things coming out of tonight that you have to worry about a little bit. And it's injuries piling up. It's giving up goals in bunches. Mm-hmm. That That's a concern for this team at times, mentality-wise. Yep. And just... Are you going to be able to bounce back in these next 10, 11 days and get ready for every game from here on out is going to feel like a playoff game? Yeah. Let's start wrapping this up here. Atlanta United is on a break now for the next uh, week and a half. It'll return to, action, return to action October 15th at the Red Bulls, who are fighting for a playoff spot, too. They're currently in six. And then Atlanta United turns around on the 22nd. Is the 22nd or the 23rd? 22nd. 22nd. And host Toronto in a game in which they'll have 70,000 seats available for purchase. Uh, it could be a huge, huge game, depends, depending upon what happens next weekend with Atlanta United's results and NYCFC's results. Um, 
Again, wrapping up here, Atlanta United falls to Minnesota United 3-2. Hector Viaba and Julian Gressel with goals for Atlanta United. Danladi Ramirez and Molino with goals for Minnesota. Atlanta United stays in third in the MLS East. Jason, tell everybody what you got coming up. Uh, soccer down here in the morning, 9 to 11, every morning, Monday to Friday. I'm sure uh, the show on Thursday will be quite interesting. It's probably going to have a therapy session type of feel. Um, <laughs> and then we turn around and get ready for the U.S. national team, which is going to pick up all of our spirits. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I just can't wait to see Jason in his big foam cowboy hat. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and my Michael Bradley jersey. Yeah, and his Michael Bradley jersey. We can talk about that after he does nothing <laughs> in the game against Panama. Follow me on Long Shoe on Twitter. Yep. Follow him on Long Shoe, at Long Shoe on Twitter. I posted a game story. I posted a sidebar on Martino criticizing the refs. Uh, oh, one thing we didn't mention that I want to throw out there real quick. Alex Tembakis made his very first... Uh, appearance for Atlanta United. If you remember, he was the first announced player signing in franchise history. Uh, I don't think he was at fault for either goal. No. Um, so anyway, it was a nice moment for him, even though it came in a loss. Um, I will post by the numbers, player ratings, the man of the match, uh, probably later tonight, and I'll have my five observations posted in the morning. Please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Follow me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on Twitter, or I'm sorry, on iTunes. Again, it's Southern Fried Soccer, and I'm really, really tired. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.